dragnet. The Jack Benny program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. A special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about 10 minutes after 11 p.m. Late start here on the WGN Radio Theater Program 395 in the series. It's June 15th. It's the day before Father's Day. And to my right is Lisa Wolf, my vivacious co-host. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Happy almost Father's Day. You got thank about 49 you. minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Shante Garth in the booth, our producer. We're going to start things off with Father Knows Best. What better Father's Day show could we start with than Father Knows Best? And then it's X-1, and then Philo Vance Detective. We'll be here till 2 o'clock in the morning. And we are going to play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous, sponsored by Cat's Pride. Yes, the celebrity is Betty White. Oh, yeah. And the prize is going to be a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 12th to see the Oscar-winning film West Side Story with the score performed live by Chicago Symphony Orchestra. All right. What caller would you We're like? we go with caller number five. Call now, 312-981-7200. We'll play the game right after these words. Come on, baby. Let's get Nancy on the phone. Hey, Nancy. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Nancy. I'm fine. Hi, Carl. How you Good. doing? We're going to have a little fun or some really ridiculous time with Betty White. Okay, guys? All right. All right. Good. Number one, Betty White has a Guinness World Record for the longest TV career for a female entertainer. Real or ridiculous? I'm going to say real. Yeah, I agree. Real. That is absolutely real. Oh, yeah. Okay, number two, Betty White has been married four times. Hmm. Uh, Ridiculous. Ooh. I'm going to say real. It's ridiculous. Oh, man. (laughs) Here's here's for Nancy. I should listen to my listeners. I tell you that every week, but our you, listeners you just are the smartest listeners it. in all of radio. You just can't do it. Why do I think I'm smarter than our listeners? I have no I mean, idea. <laughs> I'm definitely not. So, so I don't know. All right. Well, maybe you learned a lesson. Maybe not. Number three. She was the first female game show host to win an Emmy award. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. For the game show, or just in general? A game show. Uh, I'm gonna say ridiculous. Oh man, I so wanted to say real on that one, but I'm going with Nancy. Ridiculous. <laughs> Why do you go with Nancy? <laughs> <laughs> In um, 1983, she hosted a game show called so apropos for her. Called, do you know what it was called? I think it was the Pyramid Something Pyramid. No, she hosted a game show called Just Men on uh, oh. NBC. No, so that was absolutely oh, I... real. But it doesn't matter, Nancy. You're the winner. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you're a great winner, oh. and you've got a great prize. She got two out of three. I know. That's pretty darn it's good. better than you did. She's I'll got a say. pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia. It's on July 12th. You can see the Oscar-winning film West Side Story with the score performed live by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And you can join our very own Dean Richards before the film for a pre-concert discussion. So get your tickets at Ravinia.org. It's great. I've actually gone to that before. It's a lot of I, fun. I bet you that's going to be really cool. It's really cool. Sounds like fun. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of fun under the stars to watch the movie and hear the live music. I hope you have a great time at Ravinia. It's always there, fun Nancy. there. Thank you. Thank Take you care. very much. All right. She's a big winner. Oh, and yeah. don't forget, we have a text in line, 312-981-7200. Folks, listen, I need your help tonight, Uh-oh. okay? <laughs> Lisa is very sleepy tonight. What? what are you She's saying? a sleepy, sleepy girl. No, I. She needs texts. We got to keep her up. Carl I'm makes, telling you, she, I got here and she was taking a nap in the in in uh, one of the nap rooms in my office. She was napping and she's her eyes are completely closed. And she doesn't drink coffee, Here's so she thing. needs our I listeners. Would, I would have napped, except Carl couldn't stop talking. <laughs> Literally, could I went not in there. I'm like, talking. "Come on, Lisa." She's like, "No, I have a whole hour. Leave me alone." We were saying, and it's I'm like, like, "It's like when you're a kid in a sleepover, and yeah. there's that one kid but that won't stop tired. talking." That she's, was Carl. She's tired. I'm awesome. So Don't we you need worry. you to text three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. The uh, the goal is to keep Lisa up till two o'clock in the morning. I think but right work. now <laughs> it's time for Father Knows Best situation count. Remembered primarily as a TV series, it started on radio in 1949. People cannot believe it. When I say we're going to play Father Knows Best, my friend Steve, I was talking to Steve earlier, my friend, and he's like, wait a minute, Father Knows Best was a radio show? Yeah, it was. And it was set in the Midwest. Robert Young starred as general insurance agent Jim Anderson, just like on the TV show. But it was a different cast. Everybody else was different cast on radio when it moved to TV. Whole new uh, set of actors along, uh, except for Robert Young. He made the transition. Nobody else did. It was sponsored by Maxwell House Coffee. And we have a broadcast for you now from January 11, 1951. This is a very funny show. They're... Uh, they're missing all their furniture, and you'll find out why. Here's Robert Young, part one. Now, a father knows best. Okay. Is Maxwell House the best coffee in the whole world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by Maxwell House. The coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. Fortune is a fickle gypsy, always blind and often tipsy. Sometimes for years and years together, she'll bless you with the sunniest weather. Then in a moment, presto, pass. Your joys are like the withered grass. Well, I don't know about you, but that's the way it is with me. And that's the way it is with the Jim Andersons of Springfield. In the white frame house on Maple Street, fortune is definitely a sometime thing. And good or bad, the Andersons never know quite what to expect. Like this. Jim, have you seen this part of the paper? Hmm? Oh, yes. 
I've read all the ones that are on the floor. Just uh, help yourself. Well, thank you, dear. You're very kind. Oh, it's practically nothing. I don't know why they don't pass some laws or something. Look at this, honey. Three more accidents. Two people killed just because everybody's in such an all-fired hurry. Where are they going, anyway? Who, dear? The drivers. Go tearing around, knocking people down. Oh, Jim, look at this. They're recovering upholstered chairs at the interior house for thirty-five fifty. Good for them. <laughs> when you think of the lives that are lost just because people are careless or thoughtless... Jim. I heard you, Margaret. They're recovering chairs, and I hope they'll be very happy. Thirty-five fifty isn't much at all in that rose chair in the living room. Oh, honey, you're not going to start that again, are you? Well... There's nothing wrong with the rose chair, and I don't see why you keep on insisting... The rose chair is a disgrace, and you know it. It is not. It looks homey, that's all. It's frayed, faded, and feeble. And if that's your idea of homey... I like furniture that looks as if it's been lived in. By people or elephants. <laughs> Margaret, we've been through this a dozen times, and, well, I'd prefer not to discuss it right now. We're through with the dishes, Mother. Is there anything else? Yes. Will you please tell your father that the rose chair in the living room is a disgrace? Margaret. The rose chair in the living room is a disgrace. Anything else? Yes. Tell your mother I like it fine, just the way it is. He likes it fine. Aren't you two talking to each other? Not when it comes to chairs. Leave me alone, will you? I don't want to guess. But you have to. What good's a riddle if nobody tries to guess? Uh, a man tries to read a paper and you'd think it was a crime against humanity. Night after night, day after day, all I have to do is sit down... Dad, make Kathy leave me alone, will you please? I wasn't doing anything. Well, whatever you weren't doing, stop it. <laughs> but I just want him to guess. Father, she's been driving us crazy with those horrible riddles all night. They aren't either horrible. Kathy, if Betty and Bud don't want to play... Play, Mother. Wait a minute. There's nothing wrong with a few harmless riddles. And if that's all it takes to make your sister happy... But I'll... you don't know her, Dad. She never stops. I do, too, stop. Now, Bud, let's not argue... After all, Kathy's happiness is very important. It is? I don't know what that means, but it's leading up to something. What is it that has 18 legs and flies? A baseball team. Margaret. <laughs> exactly what did you mean by that last crack? You aren't supposed to guess it right away. Not now, Kathy. But... I said not now. Gee whiz. One riddle and he quits. Never mind, bud. Well? What, dear? What was the deep significance behind that last remark? About Kathy? Mm-hmm. Why, not a thing, dear. I think it's wonderful of you to be so concerned over her happiness, that's all. That's all, huh? Of course. Naturally, making other people happy isn't important. Margaret. Even if it takes only a small thing like having the rose chair recovered. But I've explained to you a thousand times... Are we going to have that old chair recovered? No, dear. We like it just as it is. What's black and white and red all over? Margaret, if it means that much to you, have it recovered. Why, Jim? Have everything recovered. <laughs> Can I get a new bed, Mom? What's black and white and red all over? Mine goes way down in the middle. If he's going to get a new bed, why can't I? I haven't had a new bed since I was nine years old. 
Nobody said anything about a new bed. Bud just got through saying it. But I didn't say he could have one. You said to have everything recovered. And how can you recover an old bed? (laughs) What's black and white and red all over? A newspaper. But not around here. (laughs) Couldn't you guess something else before you guess newspaper? But It sagged so much in the middle, I'm practically sleeping on the floor. The doorbell rang. Joe Phillips had a book on physical culture, and you know what it said? Bud. It said you can't get any sleep in a bed that sags in the middle. And mine sags in the middle. Sleep. To get any more sleep, you'd have to be dead. Well, you can't say that about me. I hardly sleep at all. You're another one. If you spent half as much time doing anything else, you'd be a genius. Jim, everyone has to sleep. Nobody said they didn't. What has 50 eyes and can't see? But just because you want one chair recovered, all of a sudden, everybody needs a new bed. Daddy. We don't have to worry about money, haven't you heard? We're the rich Andersons. Why don't we just go out and buy new furniture every week? Dear, no one said anything about getting new furniture. What has 50 eyes and can't see? I suppose beds aren't furniture. I know, dear, but the children weren't really serious. Why weren't we? Well... What? What has 50 eyes and can't see? A potato, and leave me alone. (laughs) Gee whiz. Who was it, bud? It was a moving man. He said he wanted to move the furniture. Oh, that's fine. You've already called the moving man. We did no such thing. It's okay, Dad. He said he guessed he had the wrong house. I don't know. It's gotten so that... Kathy, what are you doing? Turning on the radio. Well, turn it off. Don't you think it's noisy enough around here? But I want to hear people are foolish. Actually, they aren't moving men at all. They're too Kathy, your father's right. Please turn out to see what you said. Honey, please. They have a regular moving van with them, and they're going to try to talk somebody out of his or her furniture. Jim. Margaret, listen. For every piece of furniture, these contestants succeed in moving out of the house. Our sponsors, the Fuller Furniture Company, will pay $10. And to the lucky and unsuspecting householder, now listen to this. We're listening. The Fuller Furniture Company will replace each and every article removed with a brand new piece from its million-dollar stock of quality furnishings. Yes, Jim, where are you going? Those were the moving men. They were just here. But what are you going to do? Do? You can stop worrying about the rose chair, honey. We're going to get new furniture for the whole house. Hey! Now that the holiday season is over, it's time to get back to the everyday business of living. What did the boy say when the beast She stuck me with a pin. <laughs> Kathy. It's a riddle, Daddy. Don't you kids realize that this is important? Those lunk-headed contestants took so long to move the stuff out, they'll probably miss the end of the show and we'll get nothing back but our old furniture. But I didn't do anything, Dad. Bud, be quiet, will you? Jim, do you think it was wise to give them all the beds? Of course. There's no sense in doing a thing halfway. But what if they don't bring the new ones tonight? They have to bring them. Don't you remember? The announcer said they'd immediately replace everything they removed. I hope you're right, dear. What has four legs and whistles? Two sailors. And look, Kathy. <laughs> Gee 
Wiz. Why do you have to know all the answers? Because whether you believe it or not, I was once nine years old myself. Jim, I think he's going to say something. Well, it's about time. All he does is talk. Never says anything. Well, I think we'll have time for one or two more contestants before... No, wait a minute. Here they are. The moving men are back. They made it. They're back. Bud, will you please Turn it up a little, Betty, please. Okay. Tell me, did you boys have any luck? Oh, we had a terrible time, Mr. Foreman. It was just awful. Yeah, awful. Why, those ungrateful... Jim. We must have gone to a dozen places. And one guy even said he'd sick the dog on us. Yeah, the dog. Why doesn't he tell them about us, the knucklehead? Didn't you show the people your moving van? Oh, sure. But they said they didn't care if we had ten of them. Yeah, ten of them. They'll have to go off the air in a minute. Why doesn't he tell them... You mean then that you couldn't talk anyone into letting you take their furniture? Take their furniture? I'm glad I'm alive. Yeah, alive. (laughs) Margaret, they took practically all the furniture out of the whole house. I know, dear. Well, I'm awfully sorry. But as a consolation prize and for being such good sports, the Fuller Furniture Company wants you both to have... We'll just see about that right now. What are you going to do, Jim? I'm going to call the station. I'll show them they can't pull a stunt like that on me and get away with it. They said they'd replace the furniture, and they're going to replace it if I have to go down there and... Hello? Now, look, this is James Anderson of 607 Maple Street, and when those men took my furniture, the... I'm not mistaken, I tell you. They drove up in a moving van and... Well, no, they didn't say they were from the station. They gave me some cockeyed story about losing the slip, and... You did? I see. I see. Well, thank you very much. What did he say, Jim? It's, uh... Well, the man said he traveled with the two contestants the whole time, and, uh... Yes? Well, they never came near Maple Street. Oh, no! Jim! Holy cow! I got a riddle I bet you can't answer. What happened to our furniture? (laughs) And that's the first portion of Father Knows Best. More after these words. After news, it's the conclusion to Father Knows Best. We'll also hear X-1 and Philo Vance Detective. We'll be here till 2 o'clock in the morning. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, 11.38. Thanks, David. And we are here till 2. And don't forget, Saturdays and Sundays, we start at 11 p.m., we are here with all your favorite classic radio shows, Lisa Wolf and I on the WGN Radio Theater. We are listening to Father Knows Best, Missing Furniture. Let's go back to January 11, 1951. Robert Young in the conclusion to Father Knows Best. <laughs> It isn't much later in Springfield. Matter of fact, it isn't much later anywhere. But Springfield's the place we're worried about. You see, the white frame house on Maple Street has never seemed roomier or more spacious. But then houses always seem roomier and more spacious when most of the furniture is missing, don't they? Now, just a minute, Margaret. Let's all calm down and see if we can't figure this thing out. I knew something was going to happen. I just knew it. That's always a great help. If you knew something was going to happen, why didn't you tell me? Why keep it a secret? I'm sorry, dear. I shouldn't have said that. Women always know what's going to happen right after it happens. 
I said I was sorry. There's a perfectly simple solution to the whole thing. We'll just call the moving company and have them bring stuff back. What moving company? The one that took the furniture. What if they were crooks? Oh, Kathy. What if they were hijackers and they're peddling hot furniture all over town? Kathy, go to bed. But how can I... I said go to bed. What bed? You're... <laughs> Quite right, Kathy. What bed? Father, I know it sounds ridiculous, but what if Kathy is right? Maybe they were crooks. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Of all the houses in Springfield, why would they pick this one? They didn't pick anything, dear. We chased them down the street, remember? Well, yes, but I, uh... uh Bud, haven't you found that book yet? I think it's in the hall closet. Well, hurry up! As soon as Bud finds the phone book, we'll look in the classified section, and that'll be that. What'll be what? We'll call the company and get our furniture back. Father, I've been trying to tell you, we don't know the name. We certainly do. Kathy said she saw it on the side of the truck. And I did. It said coast to coast. So there. <laughs> Betty, I wish you'd learn to... Coast to coast. And the driver's name was Mike. Kathy, they're all marked coast to coast. That's where they go. They do? What was the other name? What other name? On the side of the truck. Oh! I don't know. Good grief. Well, at least there's one bright side to the picture. We'll get brand new furniture from the insurance company, won't we, dear? Uh, I've been thinking about that, Margaret, and, uh, it isn't quite as bright as you might think. We do have burglary insurance, don't we? Oh, yes, but, uh... Where was the burglary? Why, those men just marched right in here and took the whole... They didn't take anything, honey. We gave it to them. We practically pushed it out the door. You mean we can't put in a claim? I'm afraid not. Oh, Jim. My beautiful bed. You see, Margaret, now it's a beautiful bed. Two hours ago, she couldn't sleep in it. But now it's a beautiful bed. Well... I was used to it. Here's the phone book, Dad. It was under the galoshes. Well, naturally, that's the most logical place in the house to keep a phone book. <laughs> Jim, why don't we call the police? I don't know, honey. I suppose we should, but uh, let's call a couple of the storage companies first. There aren't many. Just eight. That's all, just eight. But, dear, if we call the police... Margaret, if you don't mind, I'd rather try to find the furniture myself first. Somehow, I'm not particularly anxious to advertise this little escapade. I'm sleepy. Now, let's not start that, Kathleen. But I am. Jim, it's getting late, and we've got to do something about the children. I'll start calling right away. Well, tell them we've got to have the beds tonight, even if they can't deliver anything else. Suppose you let me find the company first. Which is going to be so easy. Probably turn out to be the last company in the book, which means I got to sound like a congenital idiot to half the... Hello? AC Movers? This is James Anderson, 607 Maple Street. Uh, yeah, I know you're closed, but I just want you to tell me... You know, I don't want you to move any furniture. I want to know if you already have. No, you weren't supposed to. Uh, look, I, I know it sounds queer, but our furniture was picked up by a couple of men. Uh, one of them was tall and had sandy hair, and... Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I, I don't know what company. 
Now, now listen, there's no need to be insulting about it. I merely want you... But why can't you... Hello? Hello? Fine. What did he say, dear? Let's just say that he's not a gentleman. <laughs> did they have the furniture, Father? It was the night watchman, and he didn't know anything. About anything. Jim, if all the storage companies are closed... Honey, I'm doing everything I possibly can. Holy cow. What's the matter with you? Just when I got my bed nice and broken in. Nice and... <laughs> you said your bed sagged. Well, sure, but it sagged where I sag. <laughs> but we'll just have to make the best of it for the time being. But where are we going to sleep? Well, I'm afraid we'll have to see what we can arrange with the neighbors. Honey. Bud, how would you like to spend the night with Joe Phillips? Say, that'd be keen. And I can sleep next door at Patty's. Margaret, if you'll just Betty, listen. why don't you call Janie Liggett and see if you can't stay with her tonight? I'd rather die. M Margaret, why don't we just... Why, Betty, you've stayed at Janie's dozens of times. Not because we didn't have any furniture. Look, if you'll just let me say I'm something... I'm sure if you explain to Janie... Explain what? That my father gave away all the beds? <laughs> Who'd believe a silly thing like that? Now, wait a minute. She'll tell everybody on the campus, and I'll be the laughingstock of the whole school. Listen to me, young lady. This whole thing was as much your idea as it was mine. Jim. Father, how can you say that? I was perfectly happy with our furniture, just the way it was. Jim, this is not the it wasn't time... wasn't my idea to have the rose chair recovered, was it? You didn't hear me making any complaints about my bed. Well, I wasn't the one who started it. Bud did. Betty. Me? All I said was my bed sagged in the middle, that's all. Shall I take my blue pajamas? It doesn't really matter whose fault it was. We've just got to get... It certainly does matter whose fault it was. Jim. You wanted new furniture, and I was trying to get it for you. Now, if you're going to turn the whole thing around and blame it on me... No one's blaming it on you, dear. They certainly are. Shall I take my blue pajamas? Well, I hear one more complaint out of anybody, but one more complaint, so help me out. Well... Let's not have any more complaints, that's all. I'd better call Joe, huh? You stay right where you are. But, Dad, Mom Margaret, said... Margaret, Betty's right. If this thing gets around the neighborhood, we might as well move out of town. But, dear, it wasn't our fault. That's what I mean. So, why do anything we'll be sorry about tomorrow? Why can't we, uh, sleep here tonight? Sleep here? There aren't any beds. What's that got to do with it? Did the Pilgrim Fathers sleep on beds? They certainly did. Well, let's put it another way. <laughs> We're Americans, raised in the tradition of adventure and free enterprise. The hardy pioneers traveling in their covered wagons across the wide prairies. Did they worry about beds? Now we're going to play cowboys and Indians. <laughs> Just a minute, bud. I don't want to play cowboys and Indians. Kathy? I want to go over to Patty's. Well, you can't. <laughs> oh, Margaret. Well, you can't blame Kathy, dear. It's long past her bedtime, and the poor child is exhausted. Well, why doesn't she go to sleep? Where? Right here. On the floor, I suppose. Well, what's wrong with that? There's a nice soft rug. Holy cow. <laughs> now, Kathy, listen to me. I want to sleep at Patty's. No, you don't. Not really. Why would you want to go over there? All they've got is beds. <laughs> Never mind, Betty. Jim, you aren't serious. Of course I am. It won't be bad, honey. As a matter of fact, it'll be a lot of fun. We'll build a fire in the fireplace. We've got all those pads from the swing and the porch furniture. 
They'll make wonderful beds. There's an air mattress in the attic. Sure, we've got all kinds of things. Blankets, pillows, things the pioneers never had. You mean, we'll be pioneers? That's right. We'll be the stalwart Andersons, camping out in the middle of the plains. With the Indians howling and the coyotes yowling? (laughs) Kathy, go upstairs and get your blue pajamas. And the deer in the antelope playing? (laughs) Bud, call Joe and tell him you'll be right over. But Dad said... Margaret, if you'll just listen... I've done all the listening I intend to. But there's no And I have no intention of sleeping on the floor. (laughs) Honey, I guarantee that after the first five minutes... Bud, will you please do as I ask? I have to answer the door. Well, answer it. That's what I was going to do. (laughs) Mother, couldn't we please... We are not going to sleep on the floor like a bunch of savages. Just because you and your father have a ridiculous notion about false pride. Pride has nothing to do with it. Why, we hadn't the faintest idea. It's back, Dad. The huh? furniture's back. Jim. Oh, you see? I told you there was nothing to worry about. Oh. Mr. Anderson? We're right in here. Jim, I'm so relieved. I'm going outside, Dad. Wait for me, bud. I want to help, too. Creepers, now I have to sleep in that old bed again. Betty, if I hear one more word... Mr. Anderson, I gotta hand it to you. What a joker. Well, why don't we talk about it while we're bringing in the... Yeah, I've been moving furniture for 20 years, and this is the first time I ever make up the wrong load. It's very amusing. We drove it clear out to Plainville... And when we got there, the guy tells me I got the wrong stuff. Look, uh, if we can just laugh, I knew I almost died. 28 miles, and we got the wrong furniture. I don't think he's well. I know it's very funny, but... Well, now, wait a minute. You ain't heard the best part yet. You know that rose-colored chair? Yes. Well, it got caught on a nail, and we ripped the hole back. Oh, no. He probably has hysterics at a funeral. But you don't have to worry. We got insurance. We'll have the whole thing fixed up. And it won't cost you a dime. Well, that's more like and it. Then, oh, here's your bill. Bill? For what? Look at it. It's the silliest looking bill I ever made out in all my life. What do you mean, Bill? Fifty bucks for moving furniture from Maple Street to Maple Street by way of plane. Oh, no. It's midnight now in the Anderson household, and events lead us to venture a small bit of philosophy. Children are hard to understand. For that matter, so are girls. But when you come up with a girl child, brother, that's it. Like this. Mother, I can't do a thing with her. She just sits there and yowls. Poor angel. 
This whole thing's been too much for her. She needs a couple of good whacks. That's what she needs. <laughs> Never mind, bud. Margaret, what's going on up there? Oh, it's all right, dear. We just have a little problem with Kathy. Well, see if you can do something. She'll wake up the whole neighborhood. Jim, maybe you'd better speak to her. All right, if you think it'll do any good. All this excitement tonight. I'm afraid she's emotionally upset. She needs a couple of good whacks. That's what she needs. You just said that. Well, she does. Why aren't you kids in bed? Who can sleep with that? Jim, we've tried everything. All she does is wail. She won't even stay in bed. Okay. Give me my chair and a whip, and I'll see what I can do. Well, what seems to be the trouble up here, young lady? She doesn't seem to have a fever. Everything's going to be all right, sweetheart. Just tell Daddy what it's all about. I want to be a pioneer. us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee, always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That's Father Knows Best, January 11th, 1951, The Missing Furniture, Robert Young there. You heard Jim Backus in that cast. He was the um, furniture mover, and he was doing... His voice that he used for Mr. Magoo, he was the voice of the cartoon Mr. Magoo. He was like, you know, like doing that, like that kind of weird, I can't do it. But uh, he, yeah, he was the, the voice of Mr. Magoo. Of course, he's best known as Thurston Howell III on Gilligan's Island. Hope you enjoyed Father Knows Best. More of this Radio show, WGN Radio Theater, after these words. 60, 60, 60. I won't need that number. Thank you, though. <laughs> I could maybe use that. I would like to lose some weight and be, have more energy. And I don't think this is a weight loss program. I don't know. I think. Were it, you listening? I think it is. Okay. All right. So we listen to Father Knows Best. And we you did. know what? In like 25 seconds, it's going to be Father's Day. I know. So happy Father's so Day. Happy Father's Day. To all the fathers Not to Curtis, out there. but to Roger and to Carl. Roger and, and and everybody else everyone, here, everyone dad. listening. And uh, yeah. happy Father's Day. And uh, this is our Father's Day show. We have an X minus one broadcast coming up next from 1956. Then after that, it's Philo Vance Detective with Jackson Beck as Philo Vance. Um, and then tomorrow, when we uh, when we come back here, well, actually tonight when we come back here. We We've have some got more the, Jack, Day. the Jack Carson show and the chase. Yeah. And Roger knows all about the chase. And the Jack Carson show, believe it or not, is all about Father's Day. It's about it's gonna be a good one. We've it's got be a very th- good. We've got a theme going here. I don't even know what microphone you're on there, Roger. What microphone is that? Is that five? five? Is that five? Yeah. I had to ask her I had to ask her what the chase yeah. was about. 
What's the chase about? The chase. The chase? It's a big chase. This is a big chase. Chase Bank. Could no, be Chase Bank. It could be, but it's a it's a oh, big chase. Drop my I dropped my marker. Oh no. He dropped his marker. You know, we were what? talking about real quickly, we were talking about uh, when we used to be on the regular floor, you know, when we were at the other building. The regular floor? This you know, we were on the first floor. floor. At the Tribune Tower? We're on the eighteenth floor now, but we were on the first floor. In the Tribune Tower. Tribune Tower. In the showcase and studio. Lisa and I have this Thing. She says I was jumping around and waving to people. But you would just know what no. I said was you're being I overzealous. Was, you know, when people would walk by, I would wave. You know, and like kind of get like excited, a normal, bounce in a no, seat, be not both bounce. hands. I would not be bounce. Really overzealous. I was waving just to people, but mm-hmm. overzealous. And some guy, I waved to him. You know, because he was kind of walking towards the window with so both I waved, hands. So I wait. No, one hand. And he was bouncing not two in hands, chair. One hand. His mouth was wide and open. As soon as I waved. He, they came out like two guns, like two-fisted guns. The double birds. Gave me the double birds. Roger, but basically. Somebody already knew? No, I didn't. <laughs> now, have you ever gotten the double birds? I mean, that's a lot, man. No. I mean, one bird I, I can handle. Yeah. Double birds, it scarred me. I think he I'm, felt you were, you know, no, maybe a little nice. overzealous. I was just a big man that you needed both birds. I mean, double birds. Birds. I have not forgot he that. I can see that. that guy's face. I have his face etched in my brain. Really? I'm sure he was I mean, a what? WGN radio fan. You what know, is it's been that? over a year. I think he needs to. It's been, it's move way over. It's been like move. years, years since this happened. I think it's time. I like move just on to can never. I can't get over that. I can't get over the <laughs> double birds. I can see birds. that. It's a problem. Yeah. X minus one's coming up next. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, David. It is uh, almost 10 minutes after midnight here, and it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. Yes, indeed. In this hour, X minus one from 1956. Good sci-fi adventure. Then we're going to play our game. Is it real or is it ridiculous? Who's the celeb? Uh, the celebrity is Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Yeah, Breaking Bad. That's what You didn't watch that, though. I know, but I know him <laughs> from that, and I also know him from... From uh, what him or something? There was a movie, remember, with uh, James Franco. Yeah, he's been that was... since Breaking Bad. I think that was his breakout series. He's oh, and he was so also in that movie um, with Kevin Hart, where he plays uh, a guy in a wheelchair. It was a really good movie. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it yeah. was really good. I'm sure our listeners will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, All right. I don't so, know. Uh, what do they so, win? So, this is a great prize. We're going to give away general admission for two adults and two children to Sycamore Speedway. And go ahead, do it. Sycamore Speedway. There you go. Suckering suckatash. It wouldn't be a night here at WGN without a and little. And what number would you like? Oh, a caller. What number would you like? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, I'll take caller number three. So call right now three one two nine eight one three one two. See, nine, she hasn't had any no, sleep. No, no, no. no She's gonna, sleepy. No, no, she can't I, even say the that's numbers. That's not true. I was going to slow it down because last week we had an issue where pe- somebody complained that I said I, it too quickly. You were snoring five minutes ago. No, that was you. Three one two. Nine eight one seven two two hundred. See, she did it again. She messed it up again. Seven two two hundred. She is. Call now. Call we need three. you to text in, folks. <laughs> I'm fine. We'll be right back. All right. I think I have a live read here. No, wake I, up, wake actually, up, I don't. I don't have a live read. We okay. can go right into the music. Let's do it. Come on, baby. Let's All right. Let's get a little real and ridiculous. We have Paul on the phone. Hey, Paul. Hi. Hi, how are you? 
I'm good. Good. You know a few things about Brian Cranston? I know he was on Seinfeld episode. Uh, yes, he was. Right. he was. Wasn't he the dentist on there? He was at yeah. Dentite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, cool, then cool. I think you guys are going to know my first reel of Ridiculous. All so right. we're going to start with that. In 1994, he had a recurling ro- recurring role. Curling, recurling role. <laughs> Go away. I told you, she's sleepy. You're not being nice. Come she's on. sleepy. In 1994, he had a recurring role of a cabbie on Seinfeld. Real or ridiculous? You stop snoring. Oh, okay. she said cabbie. Uh, I did say cabbie. Ridiculous ridiculous you guys both know that he was jerry's dentist so i can't fool you on that one all right no. brian cranston <laughs> just i just want to clear the very air sleepy. paul i have to clear Her the eyes air. are closed no no i need 10 seconds to clear the air here right before the show started carl was snoring i'm wide awake no, there is no yeah. sleeping oh, going sure, on around here sure. all right he directed episodes for the tv series games of thrones game of thrones <laughs> Jeez. Take a nap from I now on, would you, Lisa he directed, Wolf? He directed Sleepy numerous Wolf. episodes for the TV series Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm going to just Real call her ridiculous. Sleepy Wolf. Go home. Go away. What do you think, Paul? I would say ridiculous. 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 All right. Paul knows his stuff. For Breaking Bad, he won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series four times. Real or Ridiculous. Uh, real. 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 Can't fool you guys. Paul wow. knows his Brian Paul Cranston. knew all of those, Sleepy Wolf. Yes, he did. I'm not. Don't. <laughs> um, you have won general admission for two adults and two children to Sycamore Speedway, as Carl says. Family owned since 1963. Plan your visit now at sycamorespeedway.com. Thank you so much, Paul. You did a great job. I hope you go, enjoy Paul. it. Great no job, problem. buddy. Bye. Right. Nice talking to yep. you. Yep, Paul's a big winner. He got all three right, Lisa. He sure. You know what? That's rare. Sleepy. I'm good. I had a little chocolate coffee cake, mm-hmm. and I got a little sugar yeah, buzz here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> all right. Well, luckily, you're not driving home. I'll be driving you home. That's true. Yeah, and I'm wide awake. Well, for now. So you know. All right. It's time for X minus one. This was a terrific sci-fi series. Came to radio in 1955, lasted till 1958, and it was a revival of an earlier science fiction show called Dimension X, which was on the air from 50 to 1951. And this were, uh, these were written by Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts. They adapted the best sci-fi writers' uh, scripts, like Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Robert A. Heinlein, Frederick Pohl. Oftentimes, though, Lisa, they would write their own original scripts, too, so they were they were really the the uh, driving force behind both X minus one and Dimension X, Ernest Kanoy and George Lefferts. Now this series had no movie stars, but they did use the best New York supporting players like Louis Van Ruten, Bob Hastings, Lawson Zerby, Mandel Kramer, Mason Adams, Jack Rimes. And on this particular episode, William Quinn stars in a show called The Sense of Wonder. From April 24th, 1956, here is part one now of X minus one. The book says, when the ship shall enter into the orbital pool of its destination, the motors will change in sound due to the increased anti-gravity components. A study is being made to interpret the meaning of the word destination, which was lost some 4,000 years ago 
and has always been a subject for much controversy. But this need not concern you. Suffice to be reassured that the change in the sound of the motors is a part of the scheme of things. Return to the schedule. The ship is all. Praise the ship. The, the ship, ship is all. Praise the ship. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight, The Sense of Wonder by Milton Lesser. The huge ship sped endlessly through space on a voyage that had lasted 10,000 years, the journey which had no end. And for those aboard her, there was no other universe. To them, the ship was all. The ship is all. Rykwood read the slogan embossed in raised letters of steel outside the door to the priest's compartment. The ship is all. His eyes wandered to the face of the young man standing next to him, his superior, Kreifer. The face had the empty, unquestioning expression that was typical of the people of the ship. Are you ready, Kreifer? I am. Enter. Coming. Well? I am Kreifer. Superior class, third level, compartment Y-51. Welcome. This is my attendant, Rykwood. Be welcome. Praise the ship. Praise the ship. What is your mission? My superior's schedule shows that today he has 25 units of age. He is ordered to appear before the priest of the third level to be given a woman. You have the schedule with you? Here. Good. You have your certificate of health and fertility? Show him the certificate, Rykwood. Don't just stand there dreaming. Oh, yes. Here. Good. Return to your compartment. I will have the matron bring you a woman from the fourth level. Praise the ship. Praise the ship. Kreifer returned to his compartment, followed by Rykwood. There was no questioning in the mind of either of them. At birth, each of the people was classified as a superior or an attendant, and the coded marking of his schedule was tattooed on his right arm. Both of these young men were 25, strongly built, and tanned from constant exposure to the health rays in the ship's conditioning room. Kreifer wore the loose-fitting robe of a superior. Rykwood wore the tight trousers and shirt of an attendant. They entered the comfortably furnished compartment. Kreifer? Yes? What do you suppose she'll be like? What difference does it make? Don't you even wonder about it? I wonder about nothing. The ship is all. Praise the ship. Well, naturally, but still... I could... We've been together as superior and attendant ever since the nursery. 
As an attendant, your entire purpose in life is to keep me alive and productive, to perpetuate the people. I would hate to have to part with you now. To part with me? Not of my own choosing, of course, but sometimes I detect what appears to be a strain of unorthodox thinking. Really? I was not aware of it. I am not entirely aware of it myself. Not enough for me to report you. However, I must warn you that if it should increase, I will have to send you for therapy. Well, I assure you there'll be no need for that. I've never deviated from the schedule. I have never disobeyed the buzzer. I am merely observing, asking questions like, don't you even wonder this is the first step to unorthodoxy? I shall watch myself for signs of it. Good. Ah, the eating buzzer. Your schedule calls for a massive dose of multivitamins. Fine. Prepare it in the green vegetables today. Today is a starch day. Oh, I'd forgotten. We could just skip it today. Record. Well... Of course, skipping the vitamins for one day is a permissible deviation, but I shall have to report for punishment tomorrow. Well? Skip the vitamins. I knew we would. You've never missed a permissible deviation yet. It's your influence that makes me do it. And you always blame it on me. That's what attendants are for. Yes, I know. Now, that must be the matron with the woman. Open the door. Maintain the utmost dignity, please. Yes? Is this the compartment of Kreifer, third level, Y-51? Yes. I am matron of the woman's level. Enter. I am Reichert, Kreifer's attendant. This is Kreifer. I have brought a mate for you. This is she. Be welcome. Praise the ship. Praise the ship. Her name is Aelin. Welcome, Aelin. I am most happy to be here. Praise the ship. Come. I will show you which compartment is to be ours. This way. There are five compartments in this suite. And ours will be... Will you take food, matron? Why do you look at me that way? That mark on your forehead. You have always had such a mark? Yes. And you have another diamond-shaped on your right shoulder? How could you know such a thing? I... Your name is Rykud. Rykud. How like him you look. How like whom? Your father. My what? Of course, you could not know the meaning. What do you say? When you were born, like any of the people of the ship, you were taken immediately and placed in the nursery of the ship. You never knew who sired you, nor did they know you. Naturally. It's according to the schedule. Yes, it's according to the schedule. I have a strange feeling toward you. I can't explain it. What sort of feeling, Rykud? As if we've met before. But that's impossible, of course. Yes. Still, there have been cases, it is almost heresy to mention it, where a mother has been able to keep her child for a while. Such a female would be turned over to the control chief and fed into the converter. If she were discovered. It is a criminal thing to do. It is said to warp the child so that he becomes a heretic at an early age. Yes, it is very, very criminal. Still, you say there have been cases. Once there was a woman, it is said, an attendant, who managed to conceal such a child behind one of the forbidden doors for almost three years. Behind the doors? It's unspeakable. Very likely only a rumor. It's shocking to hear of such things. Behind the forbidden door. You're shocked, and yet something seems to stir deep in your memory, perhaps. Nothing. You're certain? Why do you speak to me, Thus, woman? Come closer. What is it? Closer. Where there's no chance that we'll be overheard. Well? Rykud, you are that child. I will not listen. I will not listen. You are that child. How could you know such a thing? I am 70 units of age. 25 units ago, I was a matron of the nursery. This person came to me and told me of her child. 
which she had concealed in the space lock behind the forbidden door. She begged me to take it and place it in the nursery with the other children. I had been her attendant for many years, and we were close to each other. I did, as she asked. But are you certain this child was me? I remember the marks upon it. And I am doomed. Why doomed? I have known my own parent. This accounts for the strange feelings that come over me sometimes. What feelings are those? Feeling a sense of wonder. Oh. You seem pleased. Rykwood. What? Your superior returns, I cannot speak. But if you would satisfy this sense of wonder, I have a book which I will give you. I cannot accept a book without the supervision of the ship's librarian. Take this one. Keep it concealed. Here. I, no, I... Take I, it quickly. They're coming. Well, what are you two whispering about? I was merely explaining to your attendant how he must behave in the presence of your mate. There is no need to explain. All is scheduled. Nothing is questioned. Praise the ship. Praise the ship. I hope that your union will produce the optimum number of children. I'll leave now. Galen. Yes, Piper. Your duties will be very simple. Reichert will teach you how to prepare my meals and you will memorize my schedule. In three months, he will be freed from service as my attendant, and he will report to the second level to find a mate in the attendant class. Yes, Crichton. It's time for my health treatment. Teacher Reichard. Yes, Crichton. Come here. Closer, where I may examine you. This is Crichton's schedule. You will memorize it. Yes. Here is a list of permissible deviations. Oh, I am familiar with it, naturally. I see. I was not aware of what training you received on the women's level. The matron trained us well. Good. You have been with the matron a long time? Ever since I left the nursery. I see. What is she called? Mara. Mara? Tell me, did she ever speak to you of a sense of wonder? Are you of the control police? Certainly not. Then you should know better than to discuss feelings. I'm sorry. I, I thought perhaps... What's that? The change, Bell. There has been some change. It frightens me. What does it mean? I don't know. I heard it only once before. When the ship passed very close to a red planet, there was a shower of stars, and the ship seemed to shake, and the change bell rang. We were all summoned to the priest and told that we must undergo a test for radioactivity. What are we to do now? Reckless. Halen, quickly. It is the change bell. We are all summoned to the priest of our level. Quickly. <laughs> All right, that is the first portion of X minus one with a sense of wonder from April 24th, 1956, starring William Quinn. More after these words. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Lisa, have you listened to your June digital downloads for being a classic radio club member? I have some of them. I have them all on my computer. Oh. I haven't listened to all of them, but I've got 10 great classic radio shows. Well, you you get, tell me what you they get are. 10 shows. Every, well, if you, if, if folks, if you were a classic radio club member and you can join for only a dollar the first month, if you were a member already and you were getting your June CDs or your June digital downloads, you would be getting half-hour episodes of Abbott and Costello, Bold Venture with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, Broadway Is My Beat, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Nightbeat, Our Miss Brooks, The Shadow, Suspense, and The Whistler, plus... 
you would get copious liner notes about every episode, not only the episode itself, but the series. So like the Abbott and Costello series, the whole history about it. Yeah, the Classic Radio Club is a club that we have formed, uh, Lisa, Mike, and I. We formed this club for our listeners. And what happens is if you join, you get 10 shows sent to you each month, 10 classic radio shows along with liner notes, either via digital download or you can have them sent on five CDs in a collector case. And I know you started out with the CDs, then you switched over. To the digital I downloads. I did. I prefer the digital downloads now that it's an option. It yeah. didn't always. That's right. Um, wasn't always something that you offered, but I like it. I like to keep it on my computer, on my phone, and listen to it anytime. Right. So, folks, if you would like to be a Classic Radio Club member, and by the way, you can cancel at any time if you join, it's only a dollar the first month to try it all out. Just go to Classic Radio Club. Dot com. That's the website, ClassicRadioClub.com. And you know what? It's Father's Day. You can, you can always subscribe to, the, to this uh, club and have the CDs or the digital downloads sent to someone else. So you can actually give this as a gift if you want to give this to your father or your grandfather or yourself. Give yourself a gift. Become a club member. Uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of members and there are some great testimonials by our members at the website. So it's all there. Learn all about it. ClassicRadioClub.com. All right, we are listening to X-1. And X-1 pops up on the club every once in a while. And by the way, one other thing I didn't mention. You will never get a duplicate show. If you're a member, the 10 shows you get each and every month, you will never get a duplicate show sent uh, to you as a club member. But right now, it's uh, back to uh, 1956, the conclusion to X minus one. Within a few moments, the people of the third level of the ship were assembled in the area outside the compartment of Chul, the priest. They stood there trembling, listening, and panicked to the clangor of the change bell, not daring to wonder what it meant, but aware that something different had happened. Something different. Hush! The priest is coming. The ship is all. Praise the ship. Praise the ship. Listen to Chul, your priest. I have just been in contact with the chief priest of the ship. Ah. This is what I have been given to say. For 10,000 years now, ever since the ship began the voyage, which has no end, we have lived as one people following the schedule. In those years, the change bell has rung only twice. On one occasion, it was to announce a change in the schedule for the preservation of the people of the ship following the epidemic. On another occasion, the ship passed close to a radioactive explosion, and it was feared that we had become dangerously activated. Now the change bell has rung again. You wish to know the reason, naturally. I am given to tell you there has been a change in the sound of the motor. There is no cause for alarm. The priests have consulted the book which no man may see save the high priest. And we have learned that there is in the book a provision for a change in the sound of the motors. The book says, when the ship shall enter into the orbital pool of its destination, the motors will change in sound due to the increased anti-gravity component. A study is being made to interpret the meaning of the word destination which was lost some 4,000 years ago 
and has always been a subject for much controversy. But this need not concern you. Suffice to be reassured that the change in the sound of the motors is a part of the scheme of things. Return to the schedule. The ship is all. Praise the ship. The, the ship, ship is all. Praise the ship. On his way back to his compartment, Rykert stopped for a moment in front of the forbidden door which led to no one knew what and listened to the sound of the motors. Yes, it was true. There was a new sound. It was frightening, and yet at the same time, it made Rykert's heart leap with expectation. He looked at the forbidden door again and read the warning. No unauthorized persons permitted through this door. Attendant? Yes. What's your name and compartment? Rykert, attendant to Kreifer, third level, Y-51. Who are you? Graf, control police. Why do you loiter outside the forbidden door? I was merely reading the warning, trying to impress it upon my brain. Is there a need to impress it? You have doubts? Well, no. No, of course not. Then why bother to impress it? If you have no doubts, there is no need to impress it. Well, I, I was merely... You see, I am engaged in the training of a mate for my superior. I wish to make certain that she knows every jot and line of the warning. Has she doubts? I'm sure she does not. Then why impress the warning upon her? It should be sufficiently impressed upon her since birth. I, I was merely... You were merely loitering, eh? Tell me, Rykud... Do you ever wonder what is behind the forbidden door? Never. Are you perfectly content? Perfectly. Good. I'm going to enter your name in my report as a warning. See that it is not repeated. I will see. Return to your compartment. I will return. Praise the ship. Praise the ship. Rykard went back to his own compartment. He tried to push the events of the day out of his mind. It was almost too much to cope with. First, the mate for Kreifer, then the news of his birth, now the change in the sound of the motors and the book. Rykard lay inside his bunk, drew the curtain, and took the tiny, ancient plastic book from his trouser belt. He opened it and began to read. It was thought advisable to keep from the passengers on the ship the fact that their voyage might end in catastrophe. Forced to leave the Earth because of its radioactivity following the three wars, the inhabitants of the ship, to all intents and purposes, became the inhabitants of a new world. The ship was their world. The organizers of the expedition felt it would be cruel to inform them that the ship's navigation machinery had been set in a series of ever-increasing circles and then ever-decreasing circles, so that in 10,000 years, the ship would return to Earth. There was the possibility that Earth would no longer exist or that the radioactivity would have made it uninhabitable, even if the remaining humans hadn't managed to explode it. Therefore, the ship became all. Even the word destination was eliminated. If it were known that I had chronicled this account, I would most certainly be executed and the book destroyed. Most likely, it will pass into legend and be disbelieved anyway, just as fairy tales and even biblical accounts have become tolerated but disbelieved by many who were... The sleep buzzer sounded and Rykard's eyes closed automatically. Ordinarily, the people of the ship did not dream. It was considered a sign that therapy was needed. Tonight, Rykard dreamed.
raise the ship. Rise. Eat. Dress. The ship is on. Rikud. Oh, no. Rikud. What? What? Shh. What is it? You've been dreaming. I heard you and came in to see what was troubling you. Where's Cryford? He sleeps like the dead. I was dreaming. Helen, look at me and tell me the truth. Do you ever dream? Do you? Yes. I knew it. I could tell it by looking at your eyes. But you mustn't tell anyone. I won't. You were very close to the matron, were you not? Yes. Did she ever read to you? Read? Did she ever read from this? Where did you get that? She gave it to me. Then you must be one of the trusted ones. Who are the trusted ones? Some of us. The women who were with the matron since we were very small. We've been trusted by her to hear the reading of this book. I see. But if anyone found out... I know. Rikert? Yes? I... I feel very strange. I too. What is it? I don't know. Sometimes, after the matron had read to us from the book, I would have this feeling. Strange and frightened. And she would comfort us. Comfort? What does that mean? She would put her arms around us. And did that comfort you? Yes. How terribly strange. Rikert? Yes? Comfort me? Put your arms around me. Helen. Please, will you? Yes. Yes, yes. On the following morning, when Kreifer went to the conditioning room, as prescribed by the buzzer, Riker drew Aelin over to the spaceport and slid aside the protective shield. Look. I am looking. Tell me what you see. I see the stars and space. Look closely. Do you see nothing unusual? I so seldom look through the spaceport. I'll tell you then. Look there. See that one star, so big and so bright that it hurts your eyes? Well? I've been watching it. It is growing larger each hour. Stars do that. Never has one been this large. What difference does it make? The stars exist only as pictures in the glass of the viewport. They're not real. The ship is all. That is what we are told, but perhaps it isn't true. What? Perhaps these stars do not exist only in the glass of the viewport. Perhaps they exist beyond the viewport. I don't understand. Let me say it this way once and forever. Perhaps, Aelin, the ship is not all. Riker, your heresy frightens me. Why could hold me close? It frightens me even to look at you. Oh, why could you mustn't even think it? I do think it. I believe it. I believe the ship is not all. And I believe you are a candidate for the converter. Crawford, don't move, Rikud, or I'll blast you into dust. It is bad enough for an attendant even to touch his superior's mate, but to couple it with the ultimate heresy. There is nothing but death in this. Crawford, I beg of you. Stand aside, Aelin. I'm going to finish this heretic. Now, Rikud, I... Oh. Have I killed him? No, he's just done. Oh, Rikert, what can we do? I don't know. I, I... Rikert, the change bell again. Something's happening. I know what has happened. Come, we'll go to the priest. What about Kreifer? He'll have us killed. No, it's too late to think of that. Come. Come, Aylin. Stand close to 
me. The priest is entering. Once again, the change bell has sounded. There has been another change. Doubtless you all felt the shock and the vibration a moment ago. I am informed that the motors have stopped. Silence! However, once again, there is no need for any panic or alarm. We will continue to live our lives just as before. The only thing that has changed is that the motors have stopped and that the view in the viewports has changed. Behold. The view in the viewports has been changed from the stars to a garden. That is all there is to it. The book makes mention of the fact that the view in the viewports is changeable. Go back to your compartments and resume the schedule. The buzzer will be your guide as always. The ship is all. The, the ship, ship is all. Wait! No, I have something to say. Oh. Listen, this is what I have to say. The ship is no longer all. Keep back! I have my superior's ray gun. I will destroy any who move to seize me. Listen to what I have to say. The view in the viewports is not just a garden. It is the destination. It is the earth. Don't you understand me? We have arrived. We have reached the destination. The journey is over. We can leave the ship and go out into the garden. Fools, can't you understand? Watch the viewport. Watch it. The viewport is broken. I've shattered it. You can go out. Feel the air rush in. Smell this fragrance. I could they don't move. They don't understand. Seize him. Kill the heretic. Kill him. Why could they're moving toward us? Run. Follow me quick. After him. Death to the heretic. Reichert and Nalen ran down the long steel corridor with the crowd on their heels. After a few moments, they came to the forbidden door of the control room. Halen, quick, in here. What? It's forbidden. I'll have to blast the lock. <laughs> Quickly, now come. Now, help me close the door. Now the bar. We're safe in here for a while. Not even the priest can make them come in here after us. It'll take them time to figure out what to do. I could look. Look at the machinery. Frightening. We're in the control room. It tells about it in the book. You see this big machine here? There was a drawing in the book. This is the machine that controls the buzzer. Just a simple machine like that? Yes, a simple machine. Stand back. What are you going to do? Do? I'm going to smash it. Now. Now they're going to have to find a way to live without the buzzer. Like it's breaking down the door. Come with me. Where can we go? There's nothing except the ship. No, there is more than the ship now, Ellen. There's the earth. The cool green earth. I'm going to smash the viewport. Come on. We're going to leave the ship. Why could I frighten you? Put your arms around me. There's nothing to be afraid of. Come, Ellen. Take my hand. Here is the earth. And it is ours.
You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features a story by F.L. Wallace titled, Mesereau Loves Company. When Marcus Mesereau set out on his mission to Earth, he was driven by pride and indignation, plus a practical reason. But if he'd known what lay ahead, he might have decided to let bad enough alone. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription... X-Minus One has brought you The Sense of Wonder, based on a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Milton Lesser and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were James Monks, Bill Quinn, Edwin Jerome, Vera Allen, Rita Lloyd, Joe DeSantis, and Dick Hamilton. Raymond Edward Johnson was the narrator. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-Minus One was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Here they knew Sinclair Lewis on Biography and Sound tonight over NBC Radio. All right, that's X-1 with a sense of wonder starring William Quinn from April 24th, 1956. Good sci-fi adventure as heard on NBC. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Forty years Rich Coase has been Sven Gulli. You know, when I was a kid, Lisa, I used to watch the original Sven Gulli. I think that was Joey G. Bishop, I think. Jerry G. Bishop. T- what is it? Jerry? Jerry G. Yeah, Bishop. Sorry, how did I say Joey? Yeah. T- Jerry G. Bishop. Joey Bishop was <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Another, yes, right. I know. Yeah. It was, uh, yes. The Rat Pack. Yes, yeah. yes, he was. Um, you can't get anything past that Roger Bass, you know? <laughs> it was just you know, a voice and you from know Trust me, I, think, I, I, I you know am not I think free of guilt myself. At least Honestly, he's listening to the show. Do you know what I think it is? I think all of the people that live in Shawburg are geniuses. That's what it is. Too bad you don't live there. <laughs> That's a good one, Roger. Um, when I was a kid, I used to watch Sven Gulli. And I still watch Rich Coase's Sven Gulli. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I just thought it was the, the coolest thing. But they would sometimes run some scary movies, Roger. One time oh, yeah. at Halloween, they ran Night of the Living Dead. And I was like a kid watching this thing. And I was scarred like just like the guy that double birded me so or, that must be the yeah. problem you, you know the double birds the movie yeah. and now you're scarred messed me. up scarred you for life night of the Still, living dead he doesn't get over Ooh. things very quickly roger, roger. Did, you yeah. ever see, did you ever see night of the living yeah. dead huh spooky hello yeah did you ever see it yeah oh gosh that's a scary movie yeah, i know it is scary, scary, Lisa. Yeah. Let me tell you. I saw it many years ago did you see it i have night yeah, of the living time dead ago yeah oh Gosh, that is, oh. And I was a little kid. I was like probably, you know, 38. 38, 39. Yeah. Scary. Just a little, little tyke. And I was, it was Halloween and and my um, brother was watching me, but he was downstairs having a party with his teenage friends. And I was this little kid upstairs answering the door for the trick-or-treaters. And I remember on our big TV. Where's your mom? They were out. Big TV. Yeah, my mom was out. <laughs> big TV. And I'm watching this and here at Night of the Living Dead. I mean, it's like these creepy zombies. And oh, gosh. People know. The people out there that are listening, our listeners know what I'm talking about. That movie scared the bejesus out of me. 
You're okay though now, right, Carl? No, I'm still scarred still from worried. it. There's nothing okay about Carl. I know. No, <laughs> I know. I was trying to KO believe it. KO maybe, but not okay. Ah. All right. Well, Night of the Living Dead, Lisa. Watch it alone it's been sometimes. Many, many years. Ooh, scary, I scary, watch it scary. Again. But I can't wait to hear Rich Coe's on, yeah, uh, on, on Dave Plyer show. That'll be great. All right. In our next hour, it is Philo Vance Detective Jackson Beck, who was the announcer on the adventures of Superman. He had his own radio show. He was Philo Vance. We have that coming your way from 1948. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. What about those genius people from Shawbrook? What did you do already? Yeah, what'd you do? Uh, we already Is that part did the, of the traffic. News? Yeah, it's already part oh. of the news. It's in my script here. Oh, we good. did that in fact, part even already. The, even the um and the uh are scripted. Are part of the news. Yeah, good. it's right there in my script. You just keep adding I, a few little ums perfect. and uhs in your script. <laughs> it was perfect. I couldn't have done it better if I tried Roger, myself. you're always perfect. Well, <laughs> <laughs> check the police reports. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Schauberg himself, uh, thanks for the news. It is one ten. How come I've gotten this show at 10 minutes after every hour this... Uh, you this... were late. No. Late to the news. No, I want to know two why. Yeah, you were, actually. After. I want to know why. Yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. But I got the show <laughs> 10 minutes after each hour Are here. you still on no, that? No, I gave it to you before on He's... the last one. At uh, mm. oh, at twelfth. Well, no, no didn't you do didn't. One. That was oh, never mind. But that's okay. Never I, mind. I like you. I know. a lot. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> at a small. No, I, I, Roger's one of my favorite people in I the whole know. wide world. I really do I love Roger. And he doesn't say that to many, Roger. Yeah, I know, but I'm still asking him to pay rent. <laughs> 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 All right, in this hour, it is Philo Vance Detective. You're going to like that show from 1948. Who was our celeb? Uh, we're going to do Robin Williams this hour, and we are going to be giving away general admission for two adults and two children to... What? Sycamore Speedway. Oh, my. Oh, You want to do it, Roger, with me? Sure. Suckering Suckatash. It's Sycamore Suckatash. Speedway. 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 So close. (laughs) (laughs) Just missed a little P in there. Um, So we're going to go with caller three. Call right now, 312 981 7200. Call now, and we will be right back. Come on, baby. Let's get ridiculous. That was the car from Back to the Future, Lisa. Oh, I remember. The DeLorean. I remember. We've got Sandy on the line. Hey, Sandy. What's up, Sandy? Hello there. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Good. We're going to do a little Robin Williams this hour, okay? All right. Alrighty. Okay, number one. Robin Williams was born in Chicago. Real or ridiculous? Uh, Real. I say ridiculous. It's real. What? Yep, that's true. Carl's shaking and his here's head. For me. The whole time, shaking his head. Uh, Number two, he portrayed Ulysses S. Grant in the Night at Museum. Oh, uh, real. Yep, real. I'm so sorry. What? It was Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, right. Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> oh, Carl. man. Oh, Carl. <laughs> I thought it was. Wow. I thought it was U.S. I, I just made that one up. It wasn't. It was Teddy. Oh man! Okay, you're so good though. Number three, his first Oscar nomination was for Good Morning Vietnam. Real or ridiculous? I'll say real. Yes, real. 
saying you're saying you're not Goodwill even hunting? Had, no. Good, no, good morning, Vietnam yeah, is it, what I said. I say real along okay. with Sandy. That is real. You All got right. it. We got I You got, got one. Oh, yeah. You got Sandy it Sandy right. got two. Two out of three. She did. And I got one out of three. That's, that's Which typical. proves, again, what I've always said what? is our listeners are smarter than me. Smarter than I am. Smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, you are great. You are a winner. You have general admission for two adults and two children to Sycamore Speedway, family-owned since 1963. Plan your visit now at sycamorespeedway.com. Thank you so much for calling. You did a great job. Okay. Thank Way to you. Go, have a good Sandy. night or morning. You know, I can't call you uh, Sleepy Wolf anymore. You know I'm why? Not because sleepy. you're you're awake now. Yeah, I your know. Your eyes aren't closed anymore. No, they <laughs> they were. You know, our listeners help because our listeners sent in a lot of texts tonight. You guys just remember, Carl's got a vivid imagination. So she don't was, believe everything that he says. She was very sleepy, mm-hmm. folks, but not anymore. She's wide awake. Nope, I'm good to go. All right, uh, All vivacious right. Lisa is back. All right. All right, are you ready for Philo Vance, Detective yeah, Lisa? Yeah, always like a good detective This story. was a um, a character created by the writer S.S. Van Dyne. Now, that's a cool name, S.S. S. Van Dyne. S.S., like, like the S.S. Minnow. What's your name? Well, my name is S.S. Van Dyne. Like the S.S. You know? Minnow and I'd have from to, Gilligan's you'd have to Island. Say it like, yeah. What, what did the S.S. stand for? Do you know in the S.S. S. Minnow? S.S. stands for sea no. something. Sea-bearing <laughs> <laughs> vessel. I don't know. S.S. The S.S. What does S.S. Roger? stand for? Do you know? Roger's not uh, at his desk. there. Roger would know. S.S. What does that stand for? Well, I'll let you know. I'll enlighten Sailing you. ship? Sailing ship? No. What does S.S. mean in, like like, in the S.S. Minnow? Minnow? S.S. Sailing ship? Well, if you say so. <laughs> I don't know. What is it? Do you know? Uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't. That's I don't. a great am, question. Uh, HMS. I mean, our, HMS Pinafore. <laughs> our listeners or, will know. So British ships. But, um, yeah, this was a, a, a character created by S.S. Van Dyne. I like That's a cool name. Um, and uh, Philo... Carla Mari is a cool name. Not so much. It's pretty cool. Anyway, but thanks. Uh, Philo Vance was a very popular character in books, movies, on radio. And he was stylish, highly intelligent, he was cultured, and he was a private detective. And he was kind of like the Americanized Sherlock Holmes. You know, like Sherlock Holmes was really smart and cool and stylized and hip. Well, he was the American version. Um, In the movies, William Powell, Warren William, and Basil Rathbone all played Philo Vance on the screen. Now, on radio, he was played by Jose Ferrer, and then a later version, syndicated version, starred Jackson Beck. And that's what we have for you now. We have a Jackson Beck episode from July 20th, 1948, called The Mary Murder Case, part one now of Philo Vance Detective. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have tried to show in my brief lecture just how factual are the case histories on applied psychology contained in my newest book. Are there any questions? Mr. Mary? Uh, Yes? Mr. Mary, if, as you say, the subconscious is the stronger of our two minds, why doesn't it dominate us most of the time? A very good question. In my opinion, the subconscious is held in check by a controlling band 
a band that keeps it under the conscious mind. Were it possible to remove that controlling influence, I am of the opinion that the subconscious would dominate our motivations. Well, if there are no other questions, ladies and gentlemen, I have been informed I have a phone call in my office. Should any of you care to speak to me there, I assure you I shall be delighted. Thank you very much. Hello? This is Mr. Merry speaking. Uh, Mr. Merry, this is George Hallworth. I represent the Justine Literary Club. Uh, would it be possible for you to speak to our members next Thursday? Next Thursday? Yes. Well, I intended to return to the coast. Oh? But I think I might be able to postpone my departure. Well, just a minute. Just a minute. Uh, will you write me a letter, Mr. Harworth, uh, merely confirming our appointment? Oh, I'd be very glad to. Thank you, Mr. Merry. Not at all. Goodbye. Coming. Oh, it's you. I thought I saw you in my audience, but I hardly expected the pleasure of a personal visit. Uh, come in. I hope you've come to tell me that you've forgotten the past. How would they fancy it? Under the shows? One of those things? I'm glad you came to see me. I've been wanting to... Why are you staring at me like that? Why don't you say something? What do you want? Oh, no. No! No! No, I think yes. Vance? Uh, Mr. Vance, I'm not disturbing you, am I? I could contribute to your ego, Miss Deering, by saying that you're quite disturbing to me. But I won't. At least, not during business hours. Uh, I'm not disturbing during business hours, or you won't say it during business hours? A combination of both, Miss Deering. You know, I believe I've reached the epitome of success as a private investigator. I'm so private that I haven't had an interesting or unusual client in a week. <laughs> doesn't seem to bother you much. It doesn't bother me at all. You know, I rather like the ambition that gets me down to my office and the circumstances that do not force me to work when I get here. It guarantees my character and places no strain whatsoever on my mentality. Would it be too much for me to ask you to guarantee your character in your own office? After all, it's only through that door, and I have some typing to do. Do I distract you, Miss Deering? Well, I could contribute to your ego, Mr. Vance, by saying that you're quite distracting. So I will. You're quite distracting. <laughs> now let me get to work. Miss Deering. Yes? Take a letter, please. A letter? Okay, I take uh, L for... Um... L for... Let me finish what I'm doing. Now, let me see. Uh-uh. Take a look at the glass panel in the door. Hmm? You will not be at ease much longer, oh, serene sir. I seem to see a female profile. And I seem to hear a female knock. Hmm. Come in. Mr. Vance here. I'm Philo Vance. May I help you? Oh, yes, yes, if you only will, Mr. Vance, I... Oh, is there some place we can talk alone? Oh, don't mind me. I only work here. Come into my office if you like. It's just through this door here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Not at all. Won't you have a seat? Uh, yes, thank you. Mr. Vance, I'm Alice Barkley. And I've come to you because you're the only one who can help me, if, if anyone can. I assure you I'll try. Just give me an idea as to what you'd like me to do. I don't know. I don't know what anyone can do, Mr. Vance. I've just shot and killed a man. 
I'm afraid you've come to the wrong office, Miss Barkley. You want the police, or perhaps that's vice versa. Oh, but you don't understand. I can't remember anything that happened to me. Except that two hours ago, I was standing over a man who'd been shot in the heart, and I had a gun in my hand, and the gun was still warm from being fired. You can't remember anything before that? Well, I, I went to a lecture on applied psychology this afternoon with friends. The lecturer was Joseph Mary. You've heard of him, of course. He's written books. Oh, yes. All I remember was that after the lecture, I was standing over his body, and, and he was dead. Hmm. What did you do with the gun? Well, I, I have it here. I put it in my purse and ran. It, it was only then that I realized I didn't know where I was running to. And so I walked and walked, and, and then I came here. But I, I can't remember anything else. Well, I'll do what I can to help you, Miss Barkley. Oh, but I'm pretty convinced that you'll be facing a murder charge unless you suddenly start remembering something. Well, Mrs. Anderson, how do you think your husband looks in his new tuxedo? Pretty nifty, eh? Please. Please, darling, I, I'd, I'd like to lie down for a while. Well, what's the trouble, Joan? Come home rather late from the lecture and you're all upset. Here, Here wait, sit down for a minute. Oh, thank you. That's it. I'll get you a glass of water. Here, let, let me have your hat and your handbag. I'm so sorry. I, I guess I don't know what's come over me. John, your handbag's terribly heavy. What's in it? Well, you might as well look. Joan, it's my gun. Yes. What were you doing with my gun? And one of the bullets has been fired. Joan! Please, please, darling, I, I don't know. I don't remember. You don't remember? All I know is that I had to take it to the lecture. I don't... Don't ask me why. And I shot a man with it. You what? I shot Joseph Mary. The district attorney will see you now, Sergeant Heath. Go right in. Uh, thanks, Mary. Oh, how's his humor today? Very good, I'd say. And uh, don't change it, will you? <laughs> I'll try not to. Hi, Mr. Markham. Hi. What do I owe the honor of the homicide department's call? To this, D.A., you've always been griping about the cases I hand you. There's always something missing, you always say, right? Go ahead. Now, uh, this time I got one for you on a silver platter. man named Joe Mary was killed in his office this afternoon. This afternoon, mind you. He was shot. There was a gun lying next to his body. We traced the gun, found its owner, and I'm holding her. Name is Francis Adams. How's that? Sounds like good work, Keith. Just a moment. Yes? Mr. Philo Vance is here, Mr. Markham. Vance? Well, show him in, by all means. Oh, so your friend is here, eh, D.A.? Well, I'm glad. He'll find out that the police don't need him on every case. Hello, Markham, and Sergeant Heath. Hi, Vance. 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 How have you been, Heath? Or haven't you made up your mind yet? I feel fine, Mr. Vance. Wonderful, in fact, and you? You'll have to forgive the sergeant today, Vance. He feels rather good. He's wrapped up a murder case by himself. Really? What one is that? The Joe Mary murder. Girl named Frances Adams shot him. Is that so? Well, I came up here to tell Markham that a girl named Alice Barkley came to my office a little while ago, and she was under the impression that she killed Joe Mary. Huh? Had the gun she did it with, too. Here it is. Well, Sergeant Heath, this rather complicates things, doesn't it? Anytime your friend Vance arrives, there's complications, D.A. My advice is... We'll have to wait for your advice, Sergeant. Hello? Yes? Yes. Yes, of course. Would you bring her right down, please? Thank you. I'll be here. Goodbye. 
Now, I was saying that my advice... I still have to wait for that, Sergeant. You see, you've arrested a girl for killing Joe Mary. Vance here has a young lady who says she killed him. And that phone call was from a man named Anderson. He says his wife shot and killed Mary, and he's bringing her down here right away. How long does it take that medical examiner to check a body, Sergeant Heath? has been working on Joe Mary's body for an hour. Our friend the sergeant doesn't seem to be in a hurry, Markham. Sure, I'm in a hurry, Vance. Why shouldn't I be in a hurry? When the doc tells us what bullet killed Mary, I'll know which of the three guns I have fired that bullet. I'll know whose gun it is, and I'll know which one of the three girls killed him. Hmm. I guess Sergeant Heath has something there, Vance. Maybe. But I don't think it'll be quite as simple as that. Well, here comes the doctor. We'll know in a second. Hey, Doc. What kind of a bullet was it that knocked off Mary? How do you do, gentlemen? How do you do, gentlemen? How do you do, gentlemen? Doc, we're in a hurry. What kind of a bullet did you find in Mary? Patience, Sergeant. Patience is a virtue. All right, so I'm not virtuous. What did you find? We want to know which one of three different gals to hold for this murder. I'm afraid I won't be able to tell you that, Sergeant. Here were three bullets. Three bullets? Uh, yes, yeah, three bullets in Mr. Mary's heart. Three bullets from three different guns, I'd say. Huh? I beg your pardon? The sergeant said, huh. That means he's bewildered. Yes, and he isn't the only one who is. Bewildered? Oh, I'm supposed to be bewildered, huh? Well, I'm not. All right, so there were three different bullets fired into our friend, Mr. Mary. Doc, which one was fired first? Whoever fired that shot is the murderer. That's probably correct, Sergeant. Only the three bullets were fired within a very short time of each other. I'm afraid there's no way I or anyone else could tell which one was fired first. Oh, no, it can't be. I'm inclined to think it can. I had a feeling this wouldn't be so simple. Sergeant... May I make a suggestion? Somebody better suggest something. We have three suspects and three guns. I think the first thing we ought to do is find out if those three guns fired the bullets that the doctor found in Joe Mary's body. Which way to the ballistics department, Sergeant? That's the first portion of Philo Vance Detective with the Mary murder case from July 20th, 1948. More after these words. Drivers, please stay alert when driving in all of our child-filled areas. Arrive alive, don't text and drive. This message from Jack's Martin Muffler in Chicago. They're the muffler pioneers specializing in duels, catalytic converters, truck exhaust, and custom pipe bending. For service, stop by 6545 Southwestern Avenue in Chicago or call 773-737-8200. 773-737-8200. That's Jack's Martin Muffler reminding everyone to arrive alive, don't text and drive. There you go. Be nice if you turn your You know what? It's fine if he doesn't, Roger. There's a lot of buttons in here, Roger. I know. At least two. Sometimes they're blue and sometimes they're not blue. Yeah. When they're blue, they're on, and when they're not blue, they're off. I'm blue for you, Carl. It's amazing that it only took you five years to figure that out. Yeah, I just figured. You're real good. Yeah. Well, I'm he's, learning. He's a quick study. Every day I try to learn something. Okay. <laughs> Next week, try to learn B. <laughs> letter B. Uh, that's good, Roger. Oh, you know, you, um, you missed your calling. You know, you should have been... Um, I missed a lot of he, callings. He still has time. My writing. phone is always shut off, so you know, who knows? Here's the thing. You should you should have written for uh, Johnny Carson. That way you'd Johnny be retired who? right now. <laughs> I know. I'm still looking for work because I'd be broke. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. 
All right, Lisa. We uh, we're in the home stretch here. We are tuning in to Philo Vance Detective with the Mary Murder case. Now, this uh, this dead body has three bullets in it. There's three guns. Which one of these uh, guns was the gun used in the murder? That's what we're going to find out in this uh, portion of Philo Vance. I, I know you are you are on the edge of your chair. Well, that's how I'd usually sit, just yeah. right at the edge of the chair. She can't wait to hear the end of this. Well, thing it is here. a it is a is a good detective. It is. You know what, Jackson Beck, he was the voice on the Adventures of Superman. He had that really deep Roger Baddish type voice. Right. Yep. But only he didn't live in Shawburg. He uh, Jackson Beck lived in the New York area. Roger lives in Shawburg. No, comments. I only visit Schauberg. I'm an honorary resident. I think you oh, only visited thought, it once. I thought Roger. you were the mayor of Schauberg. And the Schauberg. thing is, he's never going to let that go. I, I know he's never going to let that go. He's not Ever. the mayor of Schauberg? Uh No, no, no. Oh. They don't pay he me. was only there once. Because it's a little town. It's very little. Well, you know it's how like little a tiny it is. little country. How little is it, Roger? Well, the uh, welcome to and you are now leaving sign is on right. one post. The same thing. Did I say country? I meant little town. It's a teeny weeny little. Remember, well, uh, if it was a country, I'd have to be the king. Yeah. Remember um, Dudley Moore in in. Um, Oh gosh, what's the what was the movie? Dudley Moore, come which, on, which Arthur, movie? Arthur, oh, Arthur, Arthur yeah. yeah. And he's drunk, and he's talking about his little country, his little country. You remember that part? Yeah, I do remember it. Oh, you do gosh. that so well; it's like you were in the park. You're really well, good at voices. I know, well, Dudley yes. and I are about the same height. That's probably why. <laughs> I know. I look straight out the window, and I miss you. Do you? Speaking <laughs> of Dudley, do you remember Cuddly Dudley? Oh, Dudley, Dudley. Yeah. Did you have a Cuddly Dudley? Sure. Yeah. I didn't yeah. have a Cuddly oh, Dudley. Oh, you didn't but have one? No. But I remember oh. Cuddly Dudley and, um, of course, yeah, the show. Dudley. Yeah. Which, what was the name of the show, Roger? Roger. Ray Rayner and Ray Friends. Ray Rayner, yeah. Rayner. Gosh. And he had, remember, he had, like, little notes all over him. Right. Yeah. Little pin, post-it he would notes. pin notes yeah. to himself. Mm-hmm. Well, they weren't actually post-its. Well, then he had that <laughs> duck. Like that. Was it Chauncey? Chauncey the duck? Chauncey. Chauncey the duck. And Chauncey yeah. would bite him every once in yeah, a while. Yeah, chase after him. Yeah, yeah he would chase after yeah, him. Ducks can be, let me tell you something. They woke him up early in the morning. It wasn't a happy duck. Right. That was an early show. That was like a 7 a.m. show, wasn't it? Don't wake Lisa up either because she could be vicious too. I know. She, I knocked, and she you was would know sleeping. That I knocked on the door and I said, Lisa, it's time to do the radio show. She's like, get out of here. That is not true. Get out of here. That is not true. Said, Carl is just being cranky and mean. Yes. Leave me alone. That's yeah. not true. So do the show yourself. Yeah, sure. <laughs> if that were true, I would be long gone. All right. It's, it's time for the conclusion to Philo Vance. <laughs> Well, you have quite a good eye, Sergeant. You hit the bale of cotton without any trouble. I got trouble, all right, but it's not because of the way I shoot. Okay, Daniels, get that bullet out and check it with the third one we took out of Joe Mary's body. Right. Well, Vance, what do you think we'll find? The same thing we found in the case of the other two guns we checked, that each fired one bullet into Mary. You know something? I wouldn't mind that. Look... This Barclay gal who came to see you, we know her gun fired one of the bullets, right, D.A.? Yes, that's correct. All right. The Anderson gal whose husband phoned us, we know her gun fired one of them. The Adams woman that I picked up, this is her gun we just tested now. Why, this case is a snap. All three of them were in on it. They're all murderers. I doubt that, Heath. In fact, even if it were right, you could never put all three of them on trial. Oh, why not? Vance is right, Heath. Only one of those women is a murderer. The first one that fired the first bullet into Mary. She killed him. Supposing the other two did fire their guns into his body. If he were already dead, what crime did they commit? See what I meant, Heath? 
Yeah. We don't know and can never find out which was the first bullet that killed him. Of course, we've got to hold all three of those women. We've got to. Vance, do me a favor. Say that you're a little confused by all of this, too. All right, Heath, if it'll give you any satisfaction, I'm confused. Okay, you solved the Canary murder case and the Green murder case and only last week the Eagle murder case. The DA keeps reminding me that I didn't, but you did. Well, I'd like to see you solve this one. I'd be glad to wind up this case for you, Sergeant. Very glad. This is District Attorney Markham. The Mary Murder case has everyone concerned, including Philo Vance, completely baffled. Joe Mary was murdered. Three bullets were found in his heart, bullets belonging to guns owned by Alice Barclay, Joan Anderson, and Francis Adams. All admit they brought those guns to Mary's lecture, but can't tell why. At Vance's request, all three women were brought into a detention room at headquarters, and I understand Vance is on his way... Somebody say something. It's no good for the three of us to just sit here and stare at each other. What is there to say, Alice? We don't know where to begin. Francis, the police are going to find out that you were once married to Joe Mary. Why don't you tell them? And make myself their number one suspect. You can't mean that, Joan. And while we're on the subject, you and Alice ran around with him at college, didn't you? Why don't you tell the police that? Don't try to make it look like we killed him, Francis. Don't you do it. I warn you, I may know more about this than I'm saying. That sounds like a threat. Well, does it? How does this sound? I think you killed Joe Mary. You even <laughs> intimate that again and you'll be the sorriest girl alive. Joan! Joan, are we going to stand here and Now, take look, her? Alice. Don't... She killed Joan. She killed him. And she's afraid we know how she did it. Now, look, darling. She shot him. I know she did. Don't Cry, Keep that screaming <laughs> idiot quiet, Joan. Keep her quiet. Lady, oh. please. What do you want here, Mr. Vance? Well, first I want to tell you that I couldn't help overhearing what the three of you just said. Very interesting. But, ladies, I have good news for you. You're all free to go home. Oh, how Only, wonderful. Only, of course, you're not to leave town. Not to leave. Uh, and Mrs. Anderson. Yes? I'd like to see you in my office the first thing in the morning. I'd prefer it, Joan, if you'd get out of here and let me finish packing. You can't leave me now, darling. You just can't. Oh, no? Just you wait and see. I'm not going to be known as the husband of the girl who murdered Joe Mary, believe me. Ex-husband, maybe, but not husband. Get out of the way, please. Oh, answer that, will you? I'm having trouble enough trying to close this bag. All right. Hello? Mrs. Anderson? Yes? This is Philo Vance. Oh, why weren't you down at my office this morning as I asked you to be? I'm sorry, I can't talk to you now. You've got to. I just found out that the police know you ran around with Joe Mary at college and that he walked out on you. Please, Mr. Vance, let me alone. I can't explain anything to you. Goodbye, Mr. Vance. I'm going to hang up. And if you or the police think that I killed Joe Mary, well, well, it doesn't matter very much now, anyhow. <laughs> Yes, yes, come in, come in. Don't keep knocking like an infernal idiot. Good afternoon, Professor Colby. Remember me? Huh? Oh, certainly I remember you. One of my worst students got one of my highest marks. Never forgiven you for it. What's your name? Vance, Professor. Philo Vance. Yes, yes, Vance, Vance. Well, Vance, what is it? Professor Colby, can a person be hypnotized into committing murder? 
If you'd paid any attention in your classes, you'd know that nobody can be hypnotized into doing anything that's against his moral code. Goodbye, mister. Uh, what did you say your name was? Vance. Yes, Vance. Tell me this, Professor. Post-hypnosis is a suggestion given to a hypnotized person which must be carried out after he is awakened from hypnosis. Correct? Yes, yes, of course, that's correct. The person receiving a post-hypnotic suggestion would have no idea why he was doing something, but he'd know he'd have to do it. Right? Any child knows that. Children don't take courses in applied psychology. May I use your phone? Well, there's a pay station outside. Oh, this will do very nicely, thank you. I've got to talk to the district attorney and ask him to have three suspects in a murder case brought to my office this evening. And then, Professor Colby, I have a favor to ask of you. A favor I don't think you can well refuse. Miss Barclay, Mrs. Yes. Anderson, and Miss Adams. Yes. yes. Let me start by saying I'm glad you were willing to come to my office. Oh, not at all. I appreciate that. Well, Vance, I got them here. Where is this great experiment you promised? Please, Markham. Ladies, I'm going to attempt an experiment in mass hypnosis. Does any of the three of you object to being hypnotized? Well, I, I don't object. No, no, I, I don't, don't think so. You know as well as I that if you fight against it, you couldn't possibly be hypnotized. So thanks again for your cooperation. Now I'd like to present one of our eminent authorities on hypnotism, Professor Colby. How do you do, Professor, Professor? Colby? Uh, well, turn out all the lights except this one on the desk, please, Vance. Uh, you do it, William Markham. You're nearer to it. Well, somebody do it. I haven't got all night, you know. Very well. <clears throat> Good. Now, ladies, I want you all to sit back in your chairs. Please make yourselves comfortable and think of nothing at all. And if you feel yourselves getting drowsy, close your eyes and sleep. Sleep. And Vance, there they are, the three of them hypnotized. The conscious mind dormant. You won't need me any longer. No, I know what to do from here on in. Thank you, Professor. I'll be sure you do it. Fine thing bothering me at this time of the night. Good night, Mr. Barnes. Mr. Markham, Sergeant Good night, good night, Professor. Hmm. He certainly is a strange sort of gentleman, isn't he, Vance? Professor Colby is wonderful. You know, it's his theory and mine that under hypnosis, if hypnotism was used once before, the subconscious mind will recall what was done at that time. I have one of my secretary's hat pins in my hand, Markham. Observe closely. I'm going to touch Miss Adams' hand with it. <laughs> What's up, Vance? Don't be alarmed, Markham. I assure you she didn't feel it. Now for the experiment. Remember, Markham, they're completely under hypnosis. They couldn't lie if they wanted to. Remember that. Miss Adams, I want you to take this gun and shoot it like you shot Joe Mary. She's doing nothing, Vance, just holding it. I know. I'll take back that gun, Miss Adams. Thank you. Now, Mrs. Anderson, please take this gun. Thank you. Now what, Vance? Hand me that hat pin, Markham, please. Here you are. Thanks. I'll just touch Mrs. Anderson's hand with the point. There. That's fine. No reaction, Markham. Now, Mrs. Anderson, I want you to fire that gun the way you fired it at Joe Mary. Now. Fine experiment, Vance. She hasn't moved a muscle either. One more subject, Markham. Give me back the gun, Mrs. Anderson. Now, Miss Barkley. First, the hat pin test. Ah, no reaction, Markham. Now, take this gun, Miss Barkley, and fire it just as you did at Joe Mary. Now. Vance, this is ridiculous. She's doing absolutely nothing. I know. 
But believe me, that isn't all I know. I know who killed Joe Murray. Can't you tell, Markham? Miss Barkley. Yes? You've got to help me. I know you were hypnotized the day Joe Murray was murdered. I know who hypnotized you. The real murderer gave herself away in my office a little while ago. But I can't prove anything without your help. In the interest of society, to help trap a clever murderer, Miss Barkley, will you please? Will I be in danger, Mr. Markham? Mr. Vance and I will try to see that the danger is as slight as possible. Very well, gentlemen. I'll do it. Hello, Francis. Oh, it's you, Alice. Come in. Sit down. Thank you. Tea? Yes, please. Francis, uh, we're quite alone, aren't we? Why, yes, of course. Why? Uh, Cream? Yes, please. I just wanted to tell you that as long as the police have apparently given up on us, you and I ought to have an understanding. Really? What sort of an understanding? Uh, Sugar? Yes, too, thank you. Well, for one thing... When you hypnotized Joan and me several weeks ago and gave us a post-hypnotic suggestion to bring guns to Joe Mary's lecture, I wasn't hypnotized. I don't know what you mean. Is the tea strong enough? Yes, quite. I saw you shoot Joe Mary with your own gun, then with mine, and then with Joan's. You're dreaming, child. Oh, no, I'm very much awake. I let you go through with your plans because, you see, I could use some money. Oh, That's too bad. But you won't need money very shortly. You'll never leave here alive. You are clever enough to figure out what I had done. Very well. But if you think that you can blackmail me, you're mistaken. I'll kill you with my hands. It'll make no noise. You'll never feel anything. Just my hands on your neck like this. A little while. No pain. No knowledge. No fear. Take your hands off, Miss Barkley. Arrest her, Markham. All right, Vance. She's all yours. Yours and the state's. Miss Deering, inasmuch as you are employed by me, would it be too much to ask you why you're not working? I'm only hired between the hours of 9 and 5, Vance. It's 5.30 now. How about breaking down and telling me how you solved the Mary murder case? All right. To begin with... When Professor Colby hypnotized the three ladies, only two of them were really hypnotized. Oh. The actual murderer, Frances Adams, fought against it, knowing her subconscious mind, which she could not control, might reveal something to us. Mm -hmm. That was the whole purpose of the experiment, to find which girl would be afraid to be hypnotized. But how did you know Miss Adams was faking? Your hat pin told me. Well, how do you like that? I've been using it for months, and I never knew it could open its mouth. I touched the point of it to all three of the ladies. One of them, Frances Adams, jumped a little. That was enough to prove she wasn't hypnotized and indicated she was the murderer but didn't prove it. So we framed a little scene between her and Alice Barkley and we got our proof. Well, and why did Miss Adams become a murderer? She'd once been married to Joe Mary. When he left town with his divorce, he also stole most of her jewelry and ready cash. And there you are. Oh, really? Where am I? With me, Ellen. Right at the end of the Mary murder case. That is Philo Vance from July 20th, 1948, with a Merry Murder case starring Jackson Beck. I hope you enjoyed that.